in just a few moments, we're going to take communion together. And so I would encourage you, if you're watching at home right now and uh, you are able to grab some elements in just a little bit, we're going to take communion together. If you are in the room right now and for whatever reason uh, you did not get a communion packet, if you would just slip your hand up and one of our deacons or ushers will come by and bring you one. I've got a few down here and to the right and to the middle. If you would just keep your hand up real quick as they're coming down the aisle, let them know and we want to get these packets to you. And again, if you're watching at home right now, this would be a good chance for you to go and grab a, a pack of saltines or some grape juice and Uh, We can take these elements together in just a few moments. But as we do this, uh, we're going to come to God's word, Romans chapter 12, and it's going to lead us precisely into taking the Lord's Supper together. As is often as our case, we we allow God's word to lead into frame and to lead us to the time that we take communion together. And so if you would, would you open with me to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to carry on in part three of the marks of the believer. What does it look like for us to live as believers in this world in the lens of Romans chapter 12? The marks of the true believer. And as we've talked about the past few weeks, you've got, um, you've got Paul talking about the, the spiritual gifts and he intersects that spiritual gift conversation to give us what it means and what it looks like for us to be uh, spiritually uh, the marks of the spirit on us. Now, let me, let me read for us Romans chapter 12 and let's give a little insight before we get started. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 12, carrying on from where we've been the past two weeks, Paul writes, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. So this is our text this morning that will lead us into taking communion together, and you may see in the midst of it, be patient in tribulation. Now, the reason why we as a church that we read scripture in light of the context in which it's written, right? We don't just pick out a verse and say, I'm gonna preach on that this week or we don't come to Bible fellowship and just say, hey, here's a good verse. Let's just try to talk about this one. We read scripture in the context by which it's written. Who was it written to? Who's written for? What is he saying? What's the context historically behind when it's written? And we understand that this scripture was written to the Roman church and this particular passage is written for believers in the Roman church and how they relate to one another, this particular passage. Now, what we don't do is we don't pull out, be patient in tribulation and say, that's a good verse. Let's do that one, right? Hey, hey, I'm going to go to the hospital this afternoon and just let everybody know. Hey, everybody here, get on the intercom. I just want to let y'all know I was reading scripture. Y'all need to be patient in your tribulation, right? We wouldn't go onto the far reaches of the universe into uh, uh, persecuted churches and go down to the basements where they're meeting in the desolate places with persecution and say, hey, persecuted church, I was reading scripture. Y'all just be patient in your tribulation, all right? We wouldn't do that because we read it in light of what's around it. And what's around it is something that we cannot neuter from one another. We've got to keep them together. Verse 12, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. We can't take be patient in tribulation with not first taking, taking joy in hope. And as we've talked about week after week, if we want a purity of heart, if we want the, the kindness to flow out of us, it's going to first start out with the basic foundation of a gospel-transformed life, right? If we, if we try and seek after being more kind, being more loving, being a more caring person, then we'll be a more moral person, but we won't have a transformation in our hearts. And this morning, we start taking joy and rejoicing in hope. As I shared earlier, what, what gives you hope? What do you have to look forward to? What, what gets you out of bed in the morning? Again, is it, is it a 
type of coffee that's in your cup that gets you out of bed ready to go? Is it an assignment that you have to do? Is it work? Is it your family? What gets you out of bed in the morning and say, I am looking forward to that. I'm taking hope in that. There's a lot of horizontal things we can look at, people, places, weather, things that, that are out there. And there are some of these things that will disappoint us. As we're looking for hope, as we take joy in different hope things, there are some times that hope can disappoint if it's not in the right spot. I've told you many years ago, uh, Brittany and I ran a half marathon together, and it was not my greatest and finest hour, if I could just be honest. Uh, I trained uh, two times for this half marathon, and when race day came, uh, I had heard the rumblings of many, many runners that told me some good advice. They just, they didn't know I didn't train, but they just said, hey, when you're running, uh, be prepared because you're going to hit a couple walls. And as you're running, you're going to hit some walls. You just need to blow past those walls and you'll get on what's almost like a runner's high. You'll feel euphoria as you break through the, the second wall. And as you keep running, you'll break it and you'll, you'll soar on the wings of eagles to the finish line and everything will be good and right. And you'll, you'll make it. You just got to blow past those, those hurdles, those obstacles. When you're starting to hurt, just blow past them and you'll make it. And so I went first mile just with this great hope and anticipation of breaking down those boundaries and running with the wings of the eagles and flying to the finish line with great crowd applause and everybody pumped for this guy who ran that half marathon. And so first wave came and I felt terrible and I blew past it believing that there was a second wave that was coming. Second wave hits, blow past it. And I want... I wanted to die on the asphalt. Just, just go ahead, stick a fork in me. I'm done. I'm done. And that anticipation that there's another wave coming, that I'm going to feel the euphoria of running and I'm going to break through the boundary and I'm going to go and it's going to be easy. That last three miles is going to be so easy because I've broken through the boundaries and there's euphoria and a runner's high that's just going to lead me to the finish line. It's going to be so good. And when it didn't come, those last three miles were some of the worst, like, 48 hours of my life. <laughs> Horrible. Every step felt like I was ironclad in my feet, my legs, because there was a hope that was not there. The hope that had been anticipated didn't come, and so that last three miles of believing something that didn't show up were so terribly hard. I'd lost my hope. And so many times as we get into this world, there's things that we're hoping in that don't, don't deliver on the promise that they're called to. But there are times in which hope keeps us going. This past week, I had the absolute privilege of spending a week in Fort Myers, Florida with about 30 or 40 other pastors in similar type context to First Baptist. It was incredible. Guys who had pastored for a long time, guys who had pastored for very, not very long, and we just sat around tables and we talked and we encouraged each other and we looked at different concepts. And one of the first thing that we did is, uh, excuse me, one of the last things is uh, this last afternoon session on Friday at 12 o'clock. And we finished up and I said, well, I don't have anywhere to go, so I'll go on and go to the airport because my flight's later on the afternoon. Got to the airport at one o'clock and looked down and recognized that my flight was out at 5.30 that afternoon in Fort Myers, Florida. And so ate lunch, that took a good 30 minutes and still had four hours and 30 minutes in this tiny little airport to figure out what in the world to do. So I worked on my sermon and did a few things and just was exhausted from a long, wonderful week. You know when you're just exhausted and you know there's still a, a, a wait to go. And so uh, get there and 
finally 5.30 comes and you sit on this plane and it feels like you are on the tarmac forever. We land in Charlotte, which, yeah, that makes sense. Let's go from Florida to Charlotte and then come back over to Montgomery. So beside the point, get to Charlotte, 7.30, and I look down. My flight is at 10.30 at night. And there's a moment as I'm sitting in the Charlotte airport, having eaten some nasty dinner and sitting there just feeling like I'm ready to go. I'm, my cousin lives here and her husband, I'm going to call Emily and her husband and I'm just going to go stay with them tonight because I can't, I physically don't think I can do this. I'm done. Tapped out. Done. It's over. But there's something that happened in the midst of that three-hour layover in Charlotte that I begin to think about the next day waking up at 8 o'clock for Micah's basketball game. And I knew that I wanted to get home and see my son play one of his last basketball games as a five-year-old. I knew that waiting for me was my bed and my pillow and my blankets. And I, I looked forward to that moment that the kids would wake up and they would recognize that I was home and they would run in and rush to pile on daddy. I, I was living for that moment and it kept me taking another step, sitting another hour longer, waiting on that plane, ready to get home. And it was the very thing that got me home was the hope of seeing my family again. That hope delivered and it kept me going. It kept another step saying, I'm, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it this two more hours. I'm going to make it another hour. I'm going to make it another 30 minutes. I'm going to sit on this tarmac for another 50 hours and I'm going to wait. And I'm going to get home and I'm going to drive home and I'm going to be there tonight so that I can be there for my family. There's a hope that delivered on its promise. But again, these are horizontal. Let's look upward for a moment. Romans chapter five. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So number one, we take joy in hope. We celebrate the reality of hope in our lives. This great gift that God has given us that we have something to hope in. In just a few hours, we will, we will come and celebrate Sarah Christenberry's homegoing. And when a saint of the Lord passes away, someone who loves the Lord and follows him with their life, we have celebration of life services. We, we celebrate their life. We rejoice in the life and the new life that they have found. We come together to celebrate and take joy in the hope that we have found. As I had a cumulative total of seven hours in the airport to think about what gives me a lot of hope and reflect. There are times sitting there that I was thinking about the struggles and the difficulties that we face and the hardships that we've walked through and I don't know what it was, but just sitting there in that terminal made me miss my mom. And I begin to think how joy-filled it is that I've not seen my mom for the last time. That I know that when I breathe my last on this side of heaven, that I will open my eyes into eternal life. Life abundant. Life where there is no more pain, sorrow, mourning, no more tears, no more pains, no more sorrow, nothing. That there is perfection in heaven. And I will be reunited with the Lord and with my mom, with my grandparents. So there's much to take joy in, and that joy will not put us to shame. 
And so we can endure, which would bring us to number two, to be patient in difficulty. The death is not the end. The struggles that we face are not the end. So we take joy in hope because we can be patient in difficulty. Now, I know what you're thinking. Be patient in tribulation. I don't have time for that. You got time to be patient? You want to be patient? Go back to December when we memorized, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. You want to do that? Right? We enjoy this? Are we looking saying, Lord, would you bring upon me tribulation so you can teach me patience? When the tribulation or the difficulty comes, do you stand and say, Lord, yes, it's finally here. This tribulation, this distress, it's here. It's made it. I can't wait. Ooh, this is going to be so good. I hope it lasts three years because I love tribulation. I love sorrow. And I can't wait for God to stretch me. Oh, it's going to be so good. I'm going to get stretched and I'm going to be patient. This is going to be great. Hey, everybody, I'm going through tribulation. This is, do we do that? You, you looked at like you were insane if you walked into your Bible fellowship class saying, glory, it's come. The tribulation is coming. I'm pumped. I'm ready. Let's, let's endure this. Let's be patient together. This is awesome. No, it's, it's hard. But alas, you see Paul write to first and foremost rejoice in hope and be patient in tribulation. One of the things we did on our first day there with the other brothers is we sat down and we drew six boxes and in those six boxes, we drew six pictures. I, I promise this wasn't kindergarten, but it, we, we drew six pictures of our most seminal events in our life. I looked down and for 34 years of my life, what were the six uh, markers and seminal moments of my life over my 34 years? As we stood and we talked amongst the, the brothers, it appeared that close to 60 to 70 to 75% of all of those seminal events in life were when we went through valleys. Of my six, two of them were mountaintop experiences and four of them were walking through deep hurt, sorrow, pain, and difficulty. And we talked about what that looked like and how none of us would go back to those moments and say, I willingly want to go back through those four life events again, but we, we gave great thanks because we saw how the Lord produced in us good things, how the Lord was with us in the midst of them, how the Lord refined and shaped us. And yes, we didn't want to go back through them, but we recognize, yes, the Lord does utilize our difficulty to produce in us great hope that endures. And so we can be patient as we recognize that our tribulation and our difficulty is momentary. This light momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal weight of glory. We recognize that we can be patient as it is producing things in us. If we allow it to, this difficulty is producing good things in us and we recognize also that we can be patient because God is with us. We recognize that he goes with before and around us and lead us to number three, which is to be constant in prayer. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, and be constant in prayer. Colossians 4.2 reminds us to be, continue steadfastly in prayer and being watchful in it. In the moments that we're walking through hardships and difficulties, it can be easy for us to pull away from prayer, to not see it as necessary or to see that we don't have anything left to pray, nothing left in the tank. Over these past three weeks, we've been going through the book of Psalms uh, on the winter Bible study that's been premiering on social media. Jay did one, Kenny did one, myself, Justin, Ryan, uh, Dale Huff, and Chuck are all doing a, a, a Psalms study. And I think the Lord just blessed me with putting it with some incredible Psalms that I got to, to teach through. And what I recognized through my time 
was that the Psalms are sometimes the best prayer book that we've got. You look at David as he wrote his Psalms of just lament and frustration saying, why is this like it is? This is so frustrating, so miserable. And at other times you see David saying, oh, this is so good. The Lord is so good. See him at times say, enemies, why are you winning over me? Lord, why have you forgotten me? Why is your ear far away from me? At times you say, Lord, thank you for listening to me. As you're in the midst of tribulation, maybe you need to pull out the book of Psalms and just resonate with those words as you pray God's word back to him. You can find a psalm that would resonate with your heart. And so if you're struggling, praying in the midst of tribulation or rejoicing in hope, find your hope, find your words in the book of Psalms, which would then lead us to number four in verse 13, to contribute to the needs of the saints and to seek to show hospitality, which is simply seek to show hospitality. At times in our busy 21st century American life, we can be so busy that we don't slow down to demonstrate and show hospitality to brothers and sisters in need. Specifically, Paul is writing to contribute to the needs of the saints and to seek to show hospitality to other believers, uh, maybe in the church, but also outside the church, to open your homes to other believers. Hospitality is a high point of a leader, of a believer. You see, the elder, one of the qualifications is that they would be hospitable. See, 1 Peter 4, 8, 9, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins and show hospitality to one another without grumbling. I'll just give you an example of what hospitality has shown me over uh, my life. When my brother and I graduated high school, we went off to college, I'm thinking, what, what do you do with an empty nest? Your, my parents, what, what do you do with an empty nest? My dad is, uh, he's got uh, longer hair and he's always resonated with a, a different type of people. He's uh, kind of like a rock star, I'd say. He, he loves music and he has taken us to the far reaches of the United States to go to concerts and listen to music and that's just who he is. He's always attracted a different uh, group and tangent of people. But he loves music, loves music. As he was looking at an empty nest with my mom, they decided that they would use their house in a really unique way. They partner with an organization that is, as Christian bands were traveling all around the country, playing in these tiny little bars and dives and venues, these tiny little places that these Christians traveled around trying to show Jesus in these hard-to-reach places, that sometimes they needed a place to stop and, and have a nice meal and to have a nice uh, place other than a hotel. And so mom and dad signed up. They, we want to be a host home. If you're traveling and you need a place to stop, come to the Bethay house. And so they would get calls late in the night saying, hey, we're passing through and saw your name on here. Hey, could we stay? And so these guys would, would unload these massive trailers full of instruments and mom and dad would rush out to the store and they didn't say, oh man, we got another band coming tonight. No, they would, they would get giddy with excitement. And you could see they would go to the store and they would buy pounds and pounds of bacon. And they would get orange juice and waffle mix and they would stay up preparing all this stuff. They would stay up into ungodly hours of the night drinking coffee and making tea and just sitting up with these tired road warriors and just pouring Jesus and listening as a, as a mom and a dad to these young kids who were just on the road and found a home in their house. See, mom and dad saw the creativeness of hospitality to other believers. And at times, we're, we don't want to invite people into our home because maybe our home is a little small or it's messy or it's not perfect. And we can make a, a thousand excuses about why we're not hospitable. But our hospitality is only limited by our creativity. 
we get creative in how we'll show hospitality to other believers, other people who are walking through life in difficult ways. And so let me give you three places in which if you're looking to be more hospitable, who do you look towards? Obviously, you look for believers who are in need, but look, who can you celebrate hope with? As you're looking to show hospitality, who can you celebrate hope with? Who can you celebrate a life's momentous thing in their life? Who can you celebrate alongside? Maybe you invite them into your home and you just celebrate them. You celebrate what God is doing in their life. Maybe you rent out a place and you be hospitable to just celebrate their life achievement or celebrate what God is doing in and through them. Secondly, who can you encourage that's in difficulty? Who can you encourage that's walking through a difficulty? Three, who can you intentionally pray for and with? We seek to show hospitality, to run and seek after the opportunity to show and demonstrate hospitality, which leads us back to taking joy and hope. Friends, when we take joy and hope, it changes everything. It changes how we see our resources, our, our money, our time, our talent, our home. And so we, we now come to this time that we take these elements to remind ourselves of what Jesus has done and that it would propel us into every other aspect of our life. So now, if you would, would you take that, that little element cup, would you take the top little layer off and would you hold that little piece of bread in your hand in this moment? I wanna read for us 1 Corinthians 11 that would lead us into this time. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then so he can eat of the bread and drink of the cup. As Kenny and Sarah come and sing for us, a song. This is our moment of reflection. We'll have maybe three minutes as they sing their song to reflect over what this bread and what this symbol represents in our heart. It's not a moment that we just fill to move from thing to thing. It's a moment for us given to examine our hearts, to remember, reflect, and remind ourselves over what Jesus has done for us. So take this time now, as Kenny and Sarah sing, to reflect over the Lord's goodness, his body given for you.
come to this time that we take this little wafer of bread. It's a powerful reminder that his body was given for you. Not that we deserved it or that we earned it or that we did enough for him to do it, but he willingly gave his life for you. So we come to this time that we share that the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and when he had broken it, he gave thanks and he said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me they took the bread. In the same way, if you'll peel back that uh, foil, the thicker foil, and expose that little thimble of juice. As we take this time to reflect as the Hanson girls play a couple selection of hymns, let this be a moment for you to rejoice. As you examine yourself, you may not feel worthy to take these elements, but at the same time, you are worthy because of what he has done. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we rejoice over the goodness of what he has done. So take time to thank the Lord, to celebrate over what he has done for you and rejoice in hope.
we take these final elements. It's a little, a little cup, but there's a depth of meaning in it. A meaning of Jesus dying on the cross to save you of all of your sins. And we come and take it joyously. Uh, reluctantly or uh, flippantly, we take it absolutely joyously. Because in these elements, we have found our hope. And his name is Jesus. And so in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And they took the cup. Just a moment, we're gonna stand and sing together hymn number 61. Savior, like a shepherd, lead us.